Hello and welcome to the Research and Innovation podcast from Leeds University Business School. Um, I'm Dr. Matthew Davis. I'm an Associate Professor in Organisational Psychology here at the Business School. Um, I'm delighted that in today's podcast episode, uh, we're going to be talking about offices, um, offices of the future, and particularly thinking about developers and designers um, and how this might all be changing with the shift to hybrid working and new ways of working. Um, And I'm joined today uh, by Simon Rees. Hello, I'm Simon Rees. I'm Professor of Building Energy Systems in the School of Civil Engineering. Um, And I'm delighted we're also uh, joined today by Mike Burton, who's Director for AECOM Building Engineering, and also Director of the British Council for Offices Board of Management. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I'd just like to say I'm also a a chartered engineer. I'm focused on sustainable design. I work across many areas, not just offices, both in the public and private sectors. Our engineering team in the UK includes 800 people and we're based in 20 offices all over the UK. But I'm actually part of a global organisation that employs 55,000 people in every continent. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us, Mike. And I think I'm right in saying that you're a, an alumnus of, of Leeds University. So welcome back as well. Thank you very much. Now, Simon, we've been working together on uh, the Adapting Offices project for a number of months now. What, are there any questions to, to mind about what might be going on at the moment with COVID and adaptations that you think are worthwhile exploring? Yeah, sure. So two years since the start of the COVID-19, the national lockdown, I'm sure office users and organisations would have hoped to be moving beyond the COVID-19 restrictions by now. Uh, it seems like we'll all have to get used to living with COVID and so use offices that might be rather different in order to give some reassurance of COVID security. Mike, do you, do you think office designers now know what needs to change to provide better resilience to infections like COVID? Well, I think now um, we, we've, there's now there's some very significant guidance available now, whereas previously, you know, two years ago, we didn't really know 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 what to do and so so people like uh, Sibsi and the British Council for Offices have produced guidance notes for designers and we also understand better how uh, Covid transmits as well through droplets and aerosols and um, certainly what I've seen on on projects is is Covid reviews being carried out so looking at um, the opportunities for opening windows uh, potential for increasing ventilation through natural ventilation increasing uh, mechanical ventilation fresh air rates, um, maybe introducing boost ventilation modes, and then also uh, the introduction of air quality sensors as well to look at at the air quality within the space. And then I I think finally, the the other thing that's been looked at is are the ventilation systems appropriate that we traditionally put in offices and which are have been in the past um, fan core units or variable refrigeration volumes that are recirculating systems at high level and is it better to go for a ventilation system that supplies air at low level which then removes the contaminants out of the space out of the occupied zone where where people are and I think I think that's that's certainly being considered now and there are a number of, of new schemes that are being designed that way but I think there's a wider agenda and um and there's a wider agenda about um, healthier, smarter buildings and more sustainable buildings, but not just in design, but actually in actual performance. 
So when the buildings are completed and running, that you can prove that they're they're a, a better design than perhaps the current office office stock. You know, with the uh, natural daylighting, better views out, um, the introduction of uh, planting and biophilia and things like that. Thanks, Mike. So. One of the things that's been highlighted by the research carried out during the pandemic has been the risk associated with poor ventilation. And you mentioned um, some of the things that have been done by way of guidance to sort of address that. And some of this is my, may have seen our colleague, Kath Noakes, talking about you know, the risks associated with poor ventilation at the Royal Institution Christmas Lectures. So some organisations seem to be facing challenges with air conditioning systems that are not performing to modern standards and also assuring recommended ventilation in offices with natural ventilation. Now, I expect um, designers know what needs to be done in terms of proper ventilation in new designs. Uh, could you comment on what some of the pitfalls might be for owners and users of older buildings and those thinking about refurbishment? Well, the 80s and 90s um, typical offices were sealed boxes. And so therefore, you know, to actually introduce natural ventilation is, is impossible without, without recladding those buildings. So, so therefore, it's important to look at the existing ventilation systems and make sure that they are operating correctly as designed. And the FM team um, are, understand how they're supposed to work. And um, something that, that we've introduced is to go back to buildings that we designed a while ago and go and meet those FM teams and, and explain how how they were intended to work and help them with um, with with any any issues with those systems. And we've, we felt that that's been quite a useful, a useful thing to do. So yeah, just sorry. for the benefit of uh, people listening who might not be as, as familiar with um, building uh, services and operations, FM, I think, would mean uh, facilities managers, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. So the people who are operating operating the building and making sure it's working properly for those occupants. Yeah, and then, and then so so just in terms of that, those systems, is that you're just making sure they're working properly. And, and what we're finding is is uh, there's equipment that isn't isn't maintained or operating correctly, and um, and and there does need to be a little bit of a rethink about about um, better funding for the operation and maintenance of systems in buildings. Yeah, so this is something of a familiar story in terms of building energy performance. When, when you go back and look at how a building is really performing, then you know, things have got changed over the years or some of these are familiar with what was changed when, but then you know, all that knowledge gets left when somebody changes job. And although buildings are supposed to have logbooks, aren't they, to record when things have been changed, you know, whether anybody knows where that is or whether it's kept up to date can be quite a challenge i think things we've we've picked up is is there there is the the knowledge is lost and um and to go back and and almost relearn but also learn about how the people who are currently in the building are operating that building and making sure things are operating correctly i mean for instance it's quite a famous project they're working on it in london where where we went back five years after completion and um and they were running some of the plant at the weekend when the building wasn't occupied. And uh, we pointed that out and obviously managed, managed to save quite a lot of energy um, f- from the way that building was operated. And it's just checking checking these things are working properly. Yeah, I guess some of this sort of health checking will 
could well uh, improve energy performance as well as ventilation performance. Okay, let me ask you something a bit about um, changes in office technology. So there's been a great deal of investment in you know, adopting more sophisticated online tools and learning how to use them. So as people go back into office, it seems like hybrid meetings you know, with some people online and others in the office are going to become quite a common thing. I know some technology is emerging to make this easier. I wonder what you think might be needed to be done in terms of providing the right sort of spaces in future offices for these sorts of meetings. Yes, yeah, certainly. It's, um, uh, I, I think many of us have been in uh, hybrid meetings where the technology hasn't, hasn't worked very well for us at all. And, um, and there are many companies now investing in, in the right equipment for a meeting. And, um, and certainly there are some meetings that you can do to hybrid now relatively successfully. And we're certainly using um, more technology. I'm seeing like smart boards and things like that for, for communication tools. Obviously, the use of cameras in a space are really important and having, having close microphones to all the people who are in their virtual or, or the office, office meeting room. Um, I still think there's still a need for a face-to-face meetings when you're really trying to collaborate and get the best ideas between between a team and um and and i'm not i'm not sure we've managed to get the technology in place yet to replace that that's really interesting mike i just wonder what you're seeing in terms of the balance between i guess larger um technology equipped meeting rooms for, for bigger hybrid meetings versus smaller uh, group meetings or, or individual pods. How's that starting to look across uh, office spaces? Yeah, there's certainly um, more pods, individual single person pods being created in the workplace now to allow you to do a Teams or a Zoom, a Zoom meeting with other people. And that that's certainly being created in a lot of the office spaces that we're designing or the refurbishments we're carrying out. And then, and then there's also the technology being put into the main meeting rooms and a lot more meeting rooms being created to allow those, those collaboration meetings to happen as well. And an issue that, has, that is appearing is acoustics around those spaces and making sure that um, if, you're, if you're working independently on your own, that the acoustics in the space allow you to do that. So, so there's a lot more concentration on, on, on uh, absorption um, within the spaces and making sure that you're not disturbed when you're working in those environments. So uh, after working home from home for many months, it seems like people have had more of a chance to reflect on you know, what works for them in terms of room environment, technology, um, ergonomics, comfort and so on. So in the past, office environments have been rather uniform and not much attention has been paid, it seems, to things like neurodiversity. Uh, can you tell us how designers are trying to address issues like this? Yeah, I think there's 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 quite a few issues that have come out of the the working from home. Is that to make the office attractive to that you're going to commute and travel and go in and to the office space? Is there's been more of a focus on almost um, hotel standards on the quality of the spaces. And, and making making them different and creating you know really good shower facilities and changing facilities, um, the role of the uh, reception area being more like a concierge facility, um, and also the the desking was traditionally you know quite high occupancy desking 
you know, is now, you know, much lower occupancy because people are not comfortable about sitting next to each other. Um, and then also putting really good IT support within the office space as well to make, make sure that things are working correctly. Coffee points, social uh, interaction spaces, and a lot more um, sort of events around come, you, the reason why you're coming to the office. So um, I use a term, in fact, ACOM use a term called travel with purpose. So what is the reason for you going into the office? You know, what's specifically the reason for doing that? Um, and then, and then the, I think the the other thing that's happened is you mentioned about neurodiversity, which which I think is a new term in the design of offices. And uh, we we just finished last year um, the BBC's new headquarters in Cardiff, and that was the first building where where we employed a specialist in neurodiversity to advise on the design of the building. Just in, in case people aren't aware of, of neurodiversity, it's ADHD, dyslexia and autism. And um, I didn't realise that um, apparently one in eight people uh, are considered neurodiverse um, in the UK. And But fewer than 50% of those people know that they they have any, um, any concerns about neurodiversity. So designing a, a building around those is really, really important. And um, I'm, I'm told neurodiverse people are, are um, you know, high energy, they're creative thinkers, um, they excel in a crisis. So they're really important as part of the workforce. But we haven't before designed buildings around around their needs. And so, for example, the pinging of a phone is a, is a real irritant. And so having a quiet space where there, aren't, there isn't, um, you aren't disturbed about that. But then also, it's if, the, if there are other people talking, that's a disturbance as well. So actually, a background noise level and the office area offices have become quieter because of um, because of the, the lack of lack of uh, people on phones and things like that. So so stopping noise is really important. Uh, colors and patterns, natural materials is really important. Biophilia is important. You know those the, the terms that I used before about natural uh, uh, daylighting views. Um, wayfinding is really important so knowing where you're going so you can see the way in the way out where are the um the t points you know that that you have to follow the same route to your desk all these things are, are really important when you're designing around those areas and i think when that's coming more into uh projects where we're talking about designing around healthy and well-being in buildings yeah, it's interesting how acoustic environments might have changed quite a lot. And, um, you know, being in an environment where phones are ringing all the time is going to be something of a thing from the past. I can't remember the last time I actually used a desk phone. I've got to say, Mike, as a psychologist, it makes me very happy to hear all the things you were just talking about there in terms of designing for, uh, I guess, neurodiversity in mind, but also, I guess, kind of more generally in terms of good design. I think, and, and flexibility and variety of spaces for, for different preferences that we know that people have as well beyond uh, those with specific needs. I, I think that's such a positive um, kind of move in, in the design space. I wonder if I could ask a, a quick question, Mike, as we, we're coming towards the end. I just wonder what the role of the, the British Council of Offices um, is at the moment in terms of informing some of, uh, I guess, this new area of design, think about these new trends and, and ways of designing. Um, is the BCO playing a role in this? Yeah, very much so. Actually, the, the the BCO is all about research in the uh, in the workplace and communicating that research. And um, 
and uh, there's been a number of, of works on on the, the post-COVID office, on the cost of net zero and sustainability, and the new guide will be updated to reflect some of these some of these thoughts. But there's been some a pretty good publication put out there now, which is um, actually free to us all all to use. Um, and it's a very important debating area around um, refurbishment, about um, new offices and the new workplace, and obviously um, attracting people back back to the office. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. Um, and thanks to everybody who's uh, listened to today's show. Um, if you'd like to find out more about our Adapting Offices research project, um, the link is in the episode show notes. Um, but thanks very much for listening, and I uh, we'll hope to see you in a future episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks very much.